You are listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Program. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you decided to listen in today. Hey, joining me on today's program is market analyst Murray Gunn. Murray is a returning guest, and I know you're going to appreciate his take on the markets. If you've not yet received a free copy of my July special report titled Making Sense of Nonsense, I'd like to invite you to get your free copy. All you need to do is go to the website requestyourreportnow.com. The website, again, is requestyourreportnow.com. And we'll be very glad to send you a complimentary copy of the report. All you need to do is let us know where you'd like us to mail it. We'd be very glad to get you out a copy at, at no cost and with no further obligation. Again, the website, requestyourreportnow.com. You know, as we've been talking about here on the program, one of the emerging financial and economic headlines is inflation. And when you look at what the headline officially reported inflation numbers are, which, as I'll discuss in this segment, are heavily manipulated, those numbers alone have some shock value. Now, if you look at consumer prices in June from a year earlier, consumer prices increased 5.4%, which is the biggest monthly gain in 13 years since August of 2008. Now, Jamie Cox, an analyst with Harris Financial Group, told CNBC, the headline numbers have shock value for sure. But the reality is these headline numbers... These headline consumer price index numbers don't include food prices and don't include energy prices, and they're manipulated, as we have discussed on the program in the past, through adjustments like substitution and weighting and hedonic adjustments. And for sake of time, I won't go into those, but just suffice it to say that these numbers suppress what the real inflation rate is. Now, this jump, this, this jump year to year is the biggest monthly jump since 2008, but the annual inflation rate, when you take the annualized rate of inflation and look at this low consumer price index measure of inflation, the annual inflation rate is 4.5%, which is the biggest jump in 30 years. Now, the article that I am working from, published by Birch Group, said that uh, this annual inflation rise is higher than expected. Certainly that is one way of putting it, but that might be saying that wrecking your car is inconvenient. It probably understates the real problem. Now, Jerome Powell, the chair of the Fed, has said that inflation is transitory. This is just a blip that we will soon get over as the economy now fully reopens. Well, that was the official narrative, and as I'll discuss in a minute, that official narrative is now changing, and many folks are not buying the transitory argument anymore. 
Sarah House, who is a senior economist for Wells Fargo, said this last week, quote, what this really shows is inflation pressures remain more acute than appreciated and are going to be with us for a longer period. We are seeing areas where there's going to be ongoing inflation pressure even after we get past some of those acute price hikes in a handful of sectors. Well, Ms. House says that inflation will be more acute than expected. Well, what does that mean? That means it's higher than the Fed said it would be. For a longer period just means it's probably going to be around for longer than a transitory time frame. And what about this idea that it is affecting a handful of sectors? Well, I'm going to go out on a limb here and quote CNN as a source. But CNN published a snapshot of the current inflation situation, and it looks at some of these sectors. And undoubtedly, many of you who are listening are familiar with some of the price increases, I should say dramatic price increases in these sectors. Car rentals year over year, up 87.7%. Incidentally, this CNN price snapshot was put together using data from the Bureau Bureau of Labor Statistics. So car rentals up 87.7% year over year. Used cars, certainly you all know this if you've been shopping for a car, up 45.2% year over year. Gas prices up 45.1% year over year. Laundry machines, if you need to buy a washer or dryer, up 29.4%. Airfare, up 24.6%. Hotel, 16.9%. Furniture, 8.6%. Bacon, 8.4%. TV set, 7.6%. Fruit, 7.3%. Shoes, 6.5%. And the list goes on and on. Now, Admittedly, there's a bit of cherry picking on because you can go to certain food prices, certain grocery items, and if you're not eating fresh fish, if you're not eating bacon, if you're not buying fruit, then perhaps your grocery bill hasn't gone up as much. I mean, if you're eating canned beans and ramen noodles, you haven't seen this price increase. Now, the New York Fed... This is according to the Fed's own numbers. Year over year, health care prices are up 9.4%. Housing prices up 6.2% and rent payments up 9.7%. I have commented on past RLA radio programs that as soon as this eviction moratorium expires at the end of July, assuming it is allowed to expire, the fact that rent payments have gone up significantly and the fact that there are approximately 10 million Americans behind on their rent that could now be evicted in August, that will create an economic headwind as well. So my point is this. It's really difficult to look at all these numbers. Car rentals, gas, used cars, airfare, bacon, fruit, fresh fish, all the things we talked about. If you add all those together, it's hard using 
even elementary school math to figure out how the overall inflation rate is only 5.4%. Granted, it depends a bit on your individual situation, but generally speaking, inflation is significantly higher than that. Some of you who are regular listeners to the program may recall that a couple weeks ago I had Ed Batowski here on the program. Ed is the inventor and developer of the Chapwood Index. The Chapwood Index takes a look at inflation by measuring 500 different consumer items prices in 50 different metropolitan markets and comparing them to what the price was six months ago. And it's Ed's estimate that inflation rate the real inflation rate might be closer to 15%. John Williams, a past guest here on the program who runs the very excellent website shadowstats.com would estimate that the real inflation rate would be around 13%. So with all this obvious inflation, the narrative is now changing. I'll talk about this more in the last segment of today's program But Jerome Powell originally said that inflation will be transitory. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said last week that Americans can now expect more inflation than was indicated initially. The narrative had to change. As inflation becomes increasingly and painfully more obvious, the narrative has to change. And I'd like to make a prediction the narrative will change again down the road should this aggressive monetary policy continue. The point of my July special report titled Making Sense of Nonsense is to help you sort all this out, but also help you put together and consider strategies that may work to help protect you in your own financial situation. If you aspire to a safe, stress-free retirement, the world in which we live is far different than it has been at any time in the past. Stock markets are way overvalued using almost every measure. Interest rates are artificially low, and inflation is emerging. And using traditional planning advice to help you reach your goals may disappoint you or fail you. If you'd like to get a second opinion, again, I'd encourage you to get my free July special report titled Making Sense of Nonsense. All you need to do to get your free copy is go to the website, requestyourreportnow.com. That is requestyourreportnow.com. Just let us know where to mail the report, and I'll see to it that you get a complimentary copy of the report as well as some bonus information Uh, that we'll be glad to send you that we think will be helpful. So again, requestyourreportnow.com is the website. And if you're not yet a user of the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates app, all you need to do is go to the app store on your phone, search for your RLA, Y-O-U-R-R-L-A, type it in as one word. Our free app will pop up. You can download it for free, and that will give you access to the weekly headline roundup webinar that I do every Monday, giving you economic, financial, and investment news that you may not hear anywhere else. You'll also get access to the podcast version of this radio program. And also you'll get my weekly portfolio watch newsletters. So again, if you're not using the app, 
Go to the App Store on your phone, type in your RLA, Y-O-U-R-R-L-A, and uh, you can download the app for free and get access to all those free resources. I will return after these words with my special guest, Mr. Murray Gunn. You are listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Joining me once again today is returning guest, Mr. Murray Gunn. Murray is the head of global research at Elliott Wave International. You can learn more about his work at ElliottWave.com. And Murray, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Dennis. It's great to be here. So, Murray, for our listeners, perhaps, that are not familiar with the Elliott Wave method of market analysis. Can you give them, give them a very quick primer? Sure, well, the uh, Elliott Wave principle is a, is a fractal-based model of the economy discovered by a man called Ralph Elliott in the 1930s. So he, he discovered that human herding behavior causes markets like the stock market, which is a leading indicator of the economy, uh, to exhibit certain identifiable and repeatable patterns. And he found that these patterns repeat at every time scale. And so it really enables cycles of herding behavior to be anticipated from the short term to the very long term. So what he did was Elliot examined uh, uh, price data for the US stock market and his, his empirical study uh, discovered that these patterns could be labeled uh, and identified, and that introduced a forecasting element to market analysis that really wasn't there uh, before. Uh, so, for example, if there was a triangular pattern present uh, on the chart of the stock market, it's a fairly reliable indicator of what is going to happen uh, when that pattern is complete. So, you know, now, now the fact that uh, these patterns repeat at every time scale means that the Elliott Wave principle can be used to forecast price developments for the next few hours uh, or in the next few months or years or, or even longer. So at Elliott Wave International, we've taught you know, thousands of people how to use the uh, Elliott Wave method to analyze the markets uh, they follow. And we've included everything uh, you need to learn um, inside a free version of the classic textbook, Elliott Wave Principle, which you can get through ElliottWave.com or, or through the link attached with this discussion. And for our listeners that uh, would like to get a uh, free book about Elliott Wave Principle. We are posting a link uh, on our website, retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. Feel free to go ahead and check out our website, click on the link, and uh, Murray has been very gracious to make that available to our listeners. So, so Murray, our, our listeners that, that just heard you say, uh, give that explanation, I should say, might have heard you say, and I'm paraphrasing, that market behavior is somewhat predictable. Is that fair? Well, that, that's what the um, conclusion that we come to uh, and the uh, analysis over the past uh, 50 years has, has you know, proven that to be the case. And, and even longer when uh, Ralph Elliott was making forecasts uh, back in the 1930s, you know, a lot of these forecasts came to uh, fruition. So, um, 
human behavior as crowds in, in, in herds is, is, is relatively predictable. So it's, it's not a great surprise that because um, financial markets are driven by human beings in herds, that the financial market should be relatively uh, predictable. So to maybe uh, put you on the spot a bit here, Murray, given that market valuations, at least from a fundamental perspective, uh, you know, the Buffett indicator, which has market cap over GDP, is at an all-time high, I think about a third more uh, overvalued than at the tech stock peak around 1999. Um, did you guys see this coming? Oh, certainly, yes. We've been uh, looking at the uh, uptrend in the stock market for uh, a number of years now as being towards the end of what we call a, a super cycle top. And you know, our thesis remains that the, the global economy has been going through an incredible period of change over the last 20 years. Um, and what's been happening really is that global leadership has, has been changing from, from you know, west to east. Um, so this super cycle topping process has involved different stages of dominoes falling. Uh, and it really sets the stage for what's coming next. Um, so it's incredible to think that the Japanese stock market topped out 30 years ago. Now, it's 30 years of a bear market in, in Japan. And that the Eurozone stock market topped out 20 years ago, or 21 years ago now. Um, and China uh, peaked 14 years ago. Uh, and so over the past decade or so, it's really only been America that's been the last man standing, uh, so to speak, in, in the, the great super cycle top. But um, if our analysis is correct, then uh, that's about to change uh, now because the US stock market is, is close to completing this, this uptrend that we've been uh, following for the last number of years and, and turning into more of a, a, a bear trend, uh, which could actually be quite uh, dramatic given the fact that uh, there's so much debt in the world and we're looking at a period of debt deflation. So, Murray, when you look, and, and we're recording this on uh, uh, Thursday, the 22nd of July, this will begin to air in just a couple days, but uh, the U.S. markets this week have been extremely volatile. Is that a precursor to this correction that Elliott Wave is forecasting? Very much so. We very often see um, increased volatility. Uh, at the end of uh, trends, certainly the end of the end of um, uptrends, um, and um, you know it's not just pattern recognition that we use um, for identifying you know forecasts. We also are students of, of sentiment and relate that to where we are in the overall cycle. And really, Dennis, you know where do I start with with sentiment now? You know, a famous technical analyst once quipped that he was. Uh, he was so bullish that he had to walk through the door sideways uh, <laughs> so he could get his horns through. Uh, and that, that sentiment sums up really where we are uh, today. You know, you just need to look. Fund, investment fund cash allocations are at all-time lows. Uh, household exposure to financial assets is at all-time highs. The use of leverage and debt in the financial markets is at all-time highs. Sentiment surveys show bullish extremes and but retail stock trading, IPOs and mergers and acquisitions have, have all boomed. And uh, these are all indications of you know, a bullish extreme, which is um, consistent with a, a top uh, in the stock market. But really, Dennis, one, one stat 
that has completely blown us away uh, recently is that if the current pace uh, continues, there will have been there's going to be more money poured into global equity funds over the past year than over the past two decades combined. Um, and you know that fact, the fact that that is occurring after a decade-long rise in the global stock market index is a sign of you know speculative excess that is consistent with a final wave higher. So do you have any predictions, Murray, as to uh, when this final downtrend begins timing-wise? Do we see that this year, next year? Do you have a sense as to timing? And I know that's a difficult question to answer. Well, we think it's, we think it's, it's, it's pretty close uh, now, given the, the structure of the, uh, the waves in the, certainly the U.S. stock market uh, and, and others. Uh, and so, you know, we wouldn't be surprised if this autumn we experience uh, a downdraft in the stock market. And, um, you know, it's just a question of, you know, whether that actually, you know, continues or not. We certainly think the evidence is there to expect that, um, you know, to continue to, you know, be subdued and, and, and into next year for a subdued uh, stock market. So, you know, this autumn is, uh, is, is very uh, interesting. 2021 itself is, is a really interesting year in terms of, uh, what we call uh, Fibonacci time cycles, which is related to uh, the Fibonacci uh, series of uh, number series, which is related to the golden ratio, which is a, a very key part of the Elliott Wave principle. And so if we look back in history, we can see that, um, you know, for instance, 21 years ago, um, it was the 2000 uh, peak, 21 is a Fibonacci number. 55 years ago, it was the 1966 peak, uh, 55 is a Fibonacci number. And you know, 89 years ago it was the 1932 low, uh, which is also you know 89 is a Fibonacci number. So, from a from a time cycle point of view, this year is is really interesting. Um, you know, for, for, from our point of view. Well, Murray, we've got just a couple of minutes left in this segment, and we can pick this conversation up in the next segment. But uh, bull markets certainly come in various levels of intensity. The same is true for bear markets. So, uh, on a level of intensity uh, perspective, how intense will the coming bear market be in your view? Well, we think it's got potential to be, um, has periods of intensity, but uh, have much more longevity uh, than before. Um, and as I said, you know, before, uh, opening that, um, you know, Japan's been in a bear market for 30 years, Europe for 20 years, China for 13 years. Can you can you imagine, uh, you know, the same situation in America? Uh, the fact that that actually nobody can, and the fact that the Fed's only goal seems to be at the moment to keep the stock market up, is an indication that you know once the market starts to turn down and once uh, expectations of uh, lower asset values, which have been inflated throughout, you know, all recognition, um, then that would tend to uh, exacerbate the, the, the expectations and exacerbate the longevity of a, of a bear market. And don't forget, bear markets can be sideways uh, affairs, as they were, say, for instance, during the 1970s. So we expect a lot of volatility, uh, a lot of uh, you know, bear market rallies, which can be very fast uh, and can be there to, to be taken advantage of. 
Well, my guest today is Mr. Murray Gunn. He is the head of global research at Elliott Wave International. You can learn more about his work at ElliottWave.com. We will also have a link posted on our website uh, to get a copy of a free book explaining Elliott Wave analysis. I'd encourage you to check that out. I'll continue my conversation with Mr. Murray Gunn when RLA Radio returns. Stay with us. are listening to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. I have the pleasure of chatting once again today with returning guest, Mr. Murray Gunn. Uh, Murray is the head of global research at Elliott Wave International. I would encourage you to check out their work. Uh, ElliottWave.com is the website. And also, if you go to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates website at RetirementLifestyleAdvocates.com, we are posting a link to an Elliott Wave book that Murray has graciously agreed to provide to the listeners today for free. So I'd encourage you to check that out as well. Murray, you had mentioned as we concluded the last segment that the Fed's only goal seems to be to keep the stock market propped up. Um, I've heard an analogy that, uh, you know, the Fed, uh, I think we could both agree, is probably down to one tool left in their toolbox, which is currency creation. Um, and if your only tool is a hammer, it seems like every problem looks like a nail. And if, the, if we see a market correction, won't the Fed come in and try to prop the market back up again? Uh, let me know your opinion. And if that is what you think, then uh, will they be successful? Well, that's a great point, Dennis. You know, in 100 years time, I think when historians look back, they'll probably view this period of time as being the time of, of peak central bank. Uh, when the, the seeming uh, omnipotence of central bank banks was at its uh, zenith. So, you know, everyone thinks that central banks saved the world in 2008 and then again in 2020, uh, when, uh, as I like to call it, World War C, uh, the COVID pandemic, you know, broke out. Um, you know, the flooding the markets with uh, freshly digitally printed money though does not uh, of itself cause stock markets and the economy to uh, recover. There, ha- there has to be an underlying willingness on the part of the public to accept that what the central banks are doing is actually useful. And it's this positive social mood, uh, as we like to call it, which allows central banks to appear really as the sort of heroes uh, of the day. And um, you know that's not always been the case, though. If you look at what's happened in Japan, is quantitative easing in Japan was has not always been uh, you know that well received. So. You know, really, um, we have no doubt that when the next downturn uh, in the stock market comes, the Fed and other central banks will try to, again, you know, print their way out of it, uh, print money and buy bonds again. Um, and when that doesn't work, uh, they'll resort to buying stocks directly, um, which they've already hinted at with the, the buying ETFs. So, um, you know, if it wasn't so uh, serious, it would actually be, uh, hilarious that the, the Fed's only goal now is to keep the stock market up. Um, and the, the problem is that we see is that, that when social mood turns negative and confidence you know, disappears, there will be nothing that central banks can do to stop the, the stock market from falling. And it, 
And it is when the public realise that the emperor has no clothes, if you like, that um, central banks are seen to be powerless. Uh, and that's the real danger moment, of course, and that will come in stock markets. Uh, in our par- in our parlance, that that'll, moment will probably come during uh, the middle of a, a third wave down. So, Murray, uh, you mentioned in the last segment sentiment. Uh, you mentioned in this segment social mood. Um, I've had the pleasure of talking with uh, Bob Prechter um, in the past, um, and he's talked about this science called socionomics, and you alluded to that. So uh, can, can we just explore briefly the, the link between social mood and market performance? Sure. Well, Robert Prechter's uh, socionomic theory is a, is a field of study um, you know, conducted under the, the hypothesis that uh, waves of um, social mood motivate the character of social actions, uh, not the other way around, as most people believe. Most people believe that it's uh, actions that happen in, in society that um, cause the mood. So the, the waves of uh, social mood drive the stock market. And so the stock market is our, is our gauge of social mood or, or sociometer, you know, as we like to call it. Um, and the, our historical research has really found that um, positive social actions, such as yeah, peace treaties, inclusion, uh, centrist politics, consensus, they tend to proliferate with a positive social mood and uh, a rising stock market. And on the other hand, it's um, you know, negative social actions such as war, uh, exclusion and disharmony. These tend to proliferate with a negative social mood and a declining stock market. So uh, the way to think of it really is, is in terms of causality. And this is what really got me hooked in the first place. So you know, a conventional way of looking at the world would be to say that war makes people angry, right? So the socioeconomic way of looking at it would be to say that angry people make war. And, um, you know, likewise, conventional wisdom might say that the recessions make business people cautious. Uh, and, and we would say from a socioeconomic point of view that it's um, you know, cautious business people which cause recessions. Well, thank you. That, that's that's a, a terrific perspective. So. Let's go back to the, the forecast and the time we have left. Uh, taking the U.S. stock market indices, uh, do you have an ultimate forecast for, say, the Dow Jones Industrial Average? Well, we let the market uh, tell us, um, as, it's, as the waves are unfolding, what the actual ultimate number is going to be. But certainly, you know, given the fact that we're reaching the end of a multi, at the very least, you know, a multi-decade uh, rise in the stock market, then, you know, we can see the, the stock market very much, you know, lower in terms of percentage terms, you know, uh, eventually, perhaps we wouldn't, we wouldn't even rule out, you know, a 50% you know, fall uh, in, in the stock market uh, over, you know, a period of years. Um, but we let the waves um, determine as we, as we go, what the actual number is going to be. So I encourage you know, your listeners to, to look us up on the website. But um, from a sentiment point of view, uh, we think that the sentiment is so bullish at the moment that, it, that, that the intensity of the bearishness can, will, will actually move that uh, you know, down. So the zeitgeist that uh, 
that we're experiencing at the moment is that people are, are expecting a repeat of the roaring uh, uh, 1920s. Uh, and indeed, some people are saying, well, we'll, we'll, get the, we'll get the roaring 1920s and the 2020s, but without the, the, the slump and the depression uh, at the end. So that's just a sign of how intensely bullish uh, people are uh, at the moment. So do you see, given the debt levels, which you mentioned in the first segment, Murray, do you see this ultimately playing out to look deflationary on a very intense basis like the 1930s? Very much so. Uh, it, you know, it was the um, Clinton uh, advisor, wasn't it, Jim Carver, who said that when he died, he wanted to be reincarnated as the bond market because the bond market can intimidate uh, everybody. <laughs> and, and, it's, and it's true, the bond market is the key to really to what's going on. So, you know, that's why the Fed was so keen to effectively underwrite the corporate bond market uh, last year because the Fed knows that many companies are effectively bust, you know, already. So um, the level of private debt, specifically on public debt, obviously now uh, in major uh, economies is, is beyond extreme. Uh, and that's why, you know, central banks are so keen to uh, inflate it or try to inflate it away, uh, you know, meaning that as prices rise, the level of debt in relative terms will go down. But we think there's, there's more chance of the opposite happening so that deflation uh, will actually result in the debt becoming even more of a burden, um, causing companies and e even governments to be forced to default. So, Murray, given that we have emerging inflation here, uh, and, and ultimately that probably turns to deflation in your view, um, where should someone who has some assets they're managing look for some refuge? Well, for us, the, the ultimate safe haven uh, has always been uh, cash uh, and uh, good quality um, lower uh, lower tenured bonds. So, you know, bills or, you know, bonds up to one, one and a half years of really good quality, you know, issuers. Um, but also, you know, we, we've recently been thinking about, uh, you know, if interest rates might rise, not because the central banks um, want them to, but actually, you know, sh short-term interest rates rise because the market pushes short-term interest rates higher um, because perhaps maybe a lack of confidence uh, in governments, then one investment which is worth looking at is uh, a floating rate note, which uh, is a bond which adjusts its coupon uh, based on uh, how interest rates are going. So as interest rates rise, then the coupon on the bond actually rises with that as well. Terrific. Well, when you're talking about bonds, and, and I look, for example, at uh, the U.S. government bond market, uh, that, in my view, would obviously be very artificial, being being propped up somewhat by the Fed. Also, uh, would you be bearish on most government bonds as well? Well, certainly, the, the way we see the biggest risk is in in the corporate bond sector, and uh, you know, lower rated bonds like junk bonds are are the greatest risk um, as asset price deflation uh, takes hold. But bond yields across all sectors um, uh, should rise as well, and that will make the level of debt um, even more burdensome. Um, 
And so that's, that's why the Fed and, and other central banks are, are so keen not to raise interest rates, because they know uh, that the world is so indebted that it can't uh, really live with higher rates um, or higher yields. But um, as Mick Jagger you know, once uh, famously sang, sang, you don't always get what you want. <laughs> well, that's a good place to end our conversation. My guest today has been Mr. Murray Gunn. He is the head of global research at Elliott Wave International. The website is elliottwave.com. And I'd like to remind the listeners who maybe are just joining us that we are posting a link to a free resource that Murray has graciously made available today to the listeners. So visit our website at retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. You can click on the link and uh, get access to uh, a free Elliott Wave resource. So uh, Murray, thanks for making that available. Thanks for taking time out of your schedule to join us today. Thank you, Dennis. It's been a pleasure. We'll return after these words. listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you're listening in today. And thanks again to my special guest today, Mr. Murray Gunn, for joining me from his offices near London. If you've not yet gotten the July special report, Making Sense of Nonsense, I'd encourage you to go to the website, requestyourreportnow.com, and make your request for the free report, All you need to do is let us know where you'd like us to mail that report. We'll be very glad to do so. The website, again, is requestyourreportnow.com. And in the report, I help you sort out the stock market, the housing market, the bond market, and give you some strategies to consider in today's very unique environment to potentially help you protect yourself and even prosper. Well, in the first segment, I talked about the fact that the headline inflation number was up 5.4% in June from a year earlier, which was the largest gain since 2008. Now, the headline number, the reported number, is the Consumer Price Index, and that number is manipulated. It doesn't include food. It doesn't include energy prices. It includes other adjustments. And despite these adjustments to make the reported inflation rate look more favorable, inflation on an annualized basis is 4.5%, which is the biggest jump we've seen in 30 years. Now, when you look at the actual inflation rate, when you look at the prices of some services, of some goods, For example, used cars up 45.2%, gas up 45.1%, washers and dryers up nearly 30%, airfares up 25%, hotels up 17%, bacon up 8.5%. Across the board, there's example after example after example. It's very obvious that the officially reported consumer price index is a bit low. Now, interestingly, as inflation has become more obvious, as inflation has become undeniable, the narrative seems to be changing. You'll probably remember that Jerome Powell, the chair of the Federal Reserve, said that we could expect inflation to be transitory. 
It's temporary. Things will get back to normal when the economy opens back up. This is simply a blip on the screen. Well, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen last week in a CNBC interview said this, and note that the narrative is changing a bit. She said, we will have several more months of rapid inflation. So I'm not saying this is a one-month phenomenon, but I think over the medium term, we'll see inflation decline back toward normal levels. But of course, we'll have to keep a careful eye on it. So Ms. Yellen says over the medium term, it's her view that inflation will decline back toward normal levels. And of course, if you have critical thinking skills, you have to ask the question, how is that going to happen? Is the Fed going to stop creating currency to buy bonds every month? No talk of that. Is the Fed going to raise interest rates like Paul Volcker did back in 1980? Many of you Maybe old enough to remember when interest rates were up near 20%. Yields on CDs were in the teens. Is that on the agenda? No. Well, Albert Einstein, who we can all agree was a pretty bright guy, said that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and yet somehow expecting to get a different result. I expect that this narrative will continue to change until Fed policy changes. And of course, one has to look at the stock market and the real estate market, as I discussed today with my special guest, Murray Gunn, and you have to be suspicious that we are seeing a bubble. When you look at the Case-Shiller Index, which measures housing, prices are now about 30% higher than they were at the peak of the real estate bubble about a dozen years ago. Ms. Yellen was asked about that, and this is what she said. Quote, so I don't think we're seeing the same kinds of danger in this that we saw in the run-up to the financial crisis in 2008. It's a very different phenomenon. But I do worry about affordability and the pressures that higher housing prices will create for families that are first-time homebuyers or have less income. Well, it's not the same phenomenon. It is a very different phenomenon. Prices are already 30% higher, and interest rates on mortgages reached about half of what they were at the low point prior to the housing market collapse at the time of the financial crisis. This time, the numbers indicate that it's got the potential to be worse. If you're just joining me, I'd like to invite you to get the free July report, Making Sense of Nonsense. In it, I analyze the housing market and where it might go. Uh, to get your copy of the free report, all you need to do is visit the website, requestyourreportnow.com. The website, again, is requestyourreportnow.com. Of course, as a student of history, I can't help but think about the fact that this was all predicted. Thomas Jefferson, more than 200 years ago, said, if the American people ever allow private banks to control the issue of their currency, and yes, the Federal Reserve is a private bank. On last week's program, I gave you some Fed history. If you happen to miss last week's program, you can go to the website, retirementlifestyleadvocates.com, and listen to the program, or you can go to the App Store on your phone 
and download the RLA app by simply searching for your RLA, all one word, Y-O-U-R-R-L-A. Jefferson said if the American people ever allow private banks to control the issue of their currency, first by inflation, then by deflation, the banks and corporations that will grow up around them will deprive the people of all property until their children wake up homeless on the continent their fathers conquered. I don't know about you, but that sounds prophetic. You know, starting in 1971, when the link between the dollar and gold was eliminated, currency went from being an asset to being debt. Because today, all money is loaned into existence. And when all money is loaned into existence, that means money is debt. And when debt levels get too high, as I talked about with Murray Gunn on today's program, eventually you have to have the debt purged from the system. And that is an ugly process that takes some time. And as Murray talked about today with me, that has the potential for a deflationary period like the 1930s once the inflation subsides. So educate yourself. At the very least, get a second opinion. The way to do that is to request the July free report, Making Sense of Nonsense. The website is requestyourreportnow.com if you'd like to get a copy of that report. We will send it to you along with some bonus information. It is free. There is no obligation. All you need to do is go to the website, requestyourreportnow.com, and we will send you some information to give you maybe a different perspective and to help educate yourself. That's all the time I have for this week. Joining me on next week's program is the publisher of the Insight Newsletter and longtime Forbes columnist Gary Schilling. Talk to you next week.